The Katie Swatis Social Justice Podcast is now available on iTunes and elsewhere with the award-winning adventure novel Irreversible Damage by J.L. Reese. The series is narrated by actor Mike Gomez. In this first book of a series on contemporary social justice activism, Katie learns that changes affecting her life were instigated by forces and people far removed from her and whose greed for a political and financial game means more to them than the lives they sacrificed along the way. Irreversible Damage, the Katie Swatis Social Justice Series, a novel by J.L. Reese, narrated by Mike Gomez. Chapter 8, Profiling As he did most Saturdays, Zack was preparing to go out to wash his car, which he'd like to do very early in the morning, before the hot Arizona sun made it a painful task. Suddenly the phone rang, and Zack picked up as fast as possible, hoping this unusually early call would not wake up his parents. It was Socorro, and her voice sounded in severe distress. Zack, who loved Soko, was panicked. Soko. What are you saying? I can't understand what is happening. His father heard the commotion and asked, Zack, what is going on? Zack put the phone under his arm and told Tom, It sounds like Soko is in jail, or something like that. She's speaking so fast I can barely understand. Give me the phone, Tom said, and calmly spoke into the phone. Soko, calm down. You know that we're here for you, slowly. Tell me what happened. Anne, half asleep, came down to see what all the commotion was, and her heart stopped when she realized something terrible may have happened to her beloved Soko. Anne and Zack were on pins and needles, trying to discern what was happening from listening to Tom's responses. Miguel was going to the store to pick up milk, and who took him? Tom listened for a while and then said, Just like that, the police stopped the car for no reason? Anne said to Tom, What is she saying? Tom waved at them to be silent. He was trying hard to listen. They asked him for his immigration papers? Tom was astonished that the police would randomly ask a driver on the street for immigration papers. Can they do that? asked Anne. Just ask people on the street for immigration papers? Isn't that racial profiling? Tom waved his hand again for silence. Anne was unaware that for years in Arizona, undersheriffs Arpaio's leadership and that of other like-minded people, the police had intentionally created an atmosphere of fear among Mexicans, legal and illegal. They racially profiled Mexican and Hispanic-looking people. The Justice Department had sued Arpaio and his department multiple times for these unconstitutional and unlawful arrests but he laughed and ignored the documents. His behavior continued with impunity for decades, as he knew nobody cared enough to make him stop. Tom now had more understanding of the situation, so now they are holding him until he proves his status, or they will deport him? Okay, then bring his papers to the police. Do you need for me to go to your home and help you retrieve the papers? As he listened... 
Tom's eyes opened and his voice got thin. Oh, my God. He stopped to take a breath. Okay. Uh, I will go there and see what I can find out. Tom hung up the phone and explained the situation to Anne and Zack. And neither one of them have green cards. Anne was mortified. How come Soko never told us? She must have given me a fake Social Security card. Tom and Anne got dressed as fast as they could and got in the car to go to the police station. On the way, they called their friend and lawyer Benjamin Smalls, who specialized in immigration law, and asked him to meet them there. Soko and Miguel Ochoa had both lived in the U.S. for over 20 years, worked hard, paid taxes, and bought a small home. They had one child born in the U.S., Mallory, and another child, Cindy, that they had brought in when she was one year old. The Ochoas had visited lawyers multiple times, paid large amounts of money to find out that it is almost impossible for Mexicans to get legal immigration. The Ochoas had several relatives who were American citizens and were willing to sponsor them, but learned that the waiting period for Mexican immigration is extremely long. Decades considerably longer than for anyone else in the world. All immigration lawyers know that. Since Miguel got caught in his first attempt across the border and was booked with a misdemeanor, he had a police record that made him eligible for immediate deportation. When Tom and Anne arrived at the police station, Soko, Mallory, and Cindy were all in tears. They were a united family, and the idea of having to live without Miguel for the rest of their lives was too much to fathom. Since Miguel was a gardener, and Soko a nanny and a housekeeper, they both had low incomes and lived paycheck to paycheck. They did not have much in savings, and now they would have to hire a lawyer. Miguel and Soko lived a life of isolation from the Anglo world and hiding. Their only meaningful connection to the mainstream American world was the Macintoshes. And that is why Soko, who was fiercely proud, had to call and ask for help. When Soko asked them for help, and looked at Tom and said, Absolutely, you know you're like family. We had no idea about your situation. Soko, why didn't you ask for our help sooner? Honey, you have kids born in the U.S., that should resolve the problem. Soko explained that they had gone to a lawyer to try to get papers, but the lawyer explained that the rule is that parents who have U.S.-born children and enter the U.S. illegally have to apply outside the U.S. and have a 10-year penalty period. Once they are eligible, they will have to wait their turn for a green card. And with current immigration laws, other nationalities get preference over Mexicans. Knowing all of this, Miguel and Soko chose to wait, hoping that they would be lucky and not get caught. A new immigration law would come into effect, or they would receive amnesty. Anne and Tom hired an expensive immigration lawyer, imagining that a better lawyer would do the trick, but they received a similar response. They were told that nothing could be done and that Miguel would be deported. A few days later, he shipped out of the country.
The Ochoa family was devastated. Soko was inconsolable, and she was now a woman without a husband. She could never go see her husband in Mexico, because if she left the U.S., she could not get back. Being the good mother that she was, her first priority was the girls. Miguel could not visit her in the U.S. because his chances of getting a visa were zero. With the help of Tom's lawyer, they immediately filed papers for Miguel because he had a U.S.-born daughter, but they waited to file for Soko because she could not leave the country and leave the girls. Soko and the girls panicked that Soko could get caught as well. The deportation had put the Ochoa girls in a perilous place. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts for the Katie Suarez Social Justice Podcast, based on the 2019 Best Latino Focus Fiction novel, Irreversible Damage, by J.L. Reese. The series is narrated by actor Mike Gomez. Cultures colliding as part of the American story of the past, and continues to this day, as highlighted in our current political world, this eye-opening novel reminds us of our need to respect and understand our differences, and to invite real unity between families, friends, and strangers. Lisa Marie Wilson, author.